that's what it is. Um, trusting the Lord Jesus. All right, First Peter chapter three in your Bibles tonight. First Peter chapter three, and as I prayed for what to do for tonight, I was thinking about it last week, and this passage of scripture kept coming back to my mind, and I saw it a couple times in other places, and I thought, all right, that's confirmation, what the Lord would have us to do. Um, so, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 to verse 22, we'll read the whole thing, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get into the message um, for tonight, and we'll just touch some things here in this passage um, relating to, related to um, the Holy Spirit, okay? So 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ, for it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for all the blessings that we have in Christ. Thank you for this passage of scripture, and I do pray for the help of the Holy Spirit in bringing forth um, this message tonight, that it might be a help, it might be an encouragement to each of us, all of us, as we live in this world today. Father, you have told us several times in the Word of God that we are to be witnesses, we are to be testimonies for thee, and so here's another place. It tells us, and so help us to be equipped. And we'll thank you for all that's accomplished. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard a story one time of a Christian young man who decided to go into the military. This was some years ago. And so he went, and his mother told him, I'll be praying for you, son, and she gave him a Bible, and she was really concerned about him being a Christian young man, being in the army. All right, if you're in the army, if you've been in the army, rather, you know, we have several guys, some guys that have been in the army, you know everything in the army is not Christian. <laughs> Let's put it that way, right? And so he came back for his first leave, and his mother says, how'd it go, son, how'd it go? She said, it went great. Nobody found out I was a Christian. <laughs> So that's kind of the opposite of what our passage is talking about tonight. Um, but in this passage, there are at least three examples of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I hope I think I hope you can see them uh, woven in this passage, and we'll bring them out. Two regarding the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and of course it has it has application for us but one especially regarding the believer and that's the first one uh, verse 15 that we'll call this ready to give an answer we're looking tonight at the subject of quickened by the spirit all right and so the first thing that, that Peter mentions here is that we are to be ready to give an answer look at verse 15 again but sanctify we're going to take this other verse part by part it says there is a preparation but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts all right and be ready always and we're going to talk about what what we're to be ready for but really that first statement sets the tone for the whole thing Okay? It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. A word, and you are familiar with the word sanctify, and, and the word that's used here uh, means to set apart, to make holy, or to regard as holy. Now, so we're to do that, it says, to the Lord in our hearts all right so therefore the idea of that word in this in this in this verse is to enthrone the Lord God in your heart or someone has put it this way set Christ on the throne of your heart there that is that he might truly be first in our lives and always foremost in our thoughts now, can I give you a little bit, a bit of advice? And I try to follow this every day. Start off every day when I pray, when I start the day, asking God to use me, help me to remember, especially at my age, help me to remember whose I am and whom I serve. And God, help me to remember why I am here. And first and foremost, we are here to represent Christ. If we're a Christian, we are, we are here to represent Jesus Christ. So along with that then, God, help me to be ready. And this has happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you. You see somebody, and you talk with right after you go, Oh, I wish I would have thought. Oh, I wish I would have thought to say this. Well, that's what this verse is all about. Being ready. By the way, that word ready is a word of attitude. In other words, an attitude of readiness. Um, it's not exactly this, but it's like a soldier who is alert. It's like a soldier who is on guard. All right? In order to be ready to respond, to react, or act in whatever situation he finds himself. And here it's obviously the idea of being ready always to give an answer to give an answer. The word answer here is the translation of the Greek word apologia, from which we get the English word apology. Now it's unfortunate that in our day, apology has come to mean I'm sorry. So it doesn't mean that we're supposed to apologize for being a Christian, right? I'm sorry, I'm, but I'm a Christian. No, the idea, the word is, the word means literally a defense, an answer. All right, um, and so in fact, in the book of Acts, Paul talks about giving an answer. Paul talks about giving his defense, and there are many times where he was put on trial. You know that if you read the book of Acts and other places, you know Paul references speaks of the times that he was on trial, the times he was brought before the authorities, 
And he was given an, an opportunity, an opportunity to answer for himself, to defend his position, um, to defend his ministry. And so that's the idea. Um, so making a defense of our faith when questioned. So this is a, this is a particular aspect. And if you have read, and I'm sure to everybody, practically everybody anyway, here has read First Peter, and you know that one of the themes is persecution. In fact, it's written to the strangers scattered. Why were they scattered? They were scattered because of the persecution that came in Jerusalem after the stoning of Stephen. And therefore, all the Christians in Jerusalem fled all over the world, and the Bible says, praise God, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. All right? And so that's one of the great themes. Every chapter of 1 Peter mentions suffering for Christ's sake. And so uh, Peter here, if I said Paul, I'm, I'm sorry, I know I was talking about Paul and some other things, but Peter here, um, obviously the, the ones that he's writing to had already and would in the future, they would find themselves being questioned about their faith. And so he says, be ready. Be ready when that time comes. So obviously the application for us today, since there's really a lack of persecution, is that whenever we have an opportunity to speak, someone questions us or asks us, why don't you do thus and so, or why do you do thus and so? Why do you go to church? Why do you do this? Well, there's an opportunity. Here's why. And you tell them. Right? And we ought, we, ought, we ought not to be afraid. Um, I'm, I'm, really, I'm convinced that the world, society, has a warped view of Christians because of the media. Right? For the most part, when the media portrays a Christian, that's not a very good portrayal. And you know this, if you've watched any, any programs, even you know, so-called good shows, a lot of times they portray pastors or Christians as being wild-eyed fanatics and, and, all this, and all this kind of stuff, playing with snakes and drinking poison and you know, doing all these kinds of things. And of course, real, real Christians don't do those kinds of things. But anyway, um, so an answer. Um, a reason, all right, a reason. In other words, why? A reason of the hope that is in you. The hope that we have in Christ. The hope of eternal life. The hope of heaven. The things and the hope, you know, in this life, we, we hope in the word of God. That it's the truth. And we could walk, live by it and, and walk by it. And God would direct us. And all those things. And so we're to be ready to give an answer. Okay? Um... So there, and there is an aspect, and of in the book of in in the book of uh, Mark, and I meant I wrote. I hope I can find it because I forgot somehow it got out of my notes. But in the book of Mark, the Lord Jesus talked about, and I'm, if I can't find it, I'll just refer to it. Um, anyway, he said this. Let me see. It, where Jesus said that they're going to be that the disciples would be brought before magistrates and so forth, and he told them that the Holy Ghost will speak through you. The Holy Ghost will teach you what to say. In fact, he said in one place, it's not you, but this Holy Ghost that speaks. I know it's in the book of Mark. Anyway, so, so putting those two together, um, Jesus emphasized the, the work of the Holy Spirit in helping us to say the right thing. And Peter emphasizes 
they really, by the way, Peter was there with Jesus when the Lord told them about, about how the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, would guide them and help them. All right, I found it. Mark 13. Let's go there. Mark chapter 13. Um, we'll start in verse 9. Mark 13, verse 9. And, and here's what the Lord says. And, and, and again, the Lord Jesus Christ did not, did not hide anything from his disciples, nor does he hide anything from us. Um, the word of God makes it very, very clear that the Christian life is not a life of ease. All right? And if we're looking for a life of ease, you're looking in the wrong place because the Christian life is not a life of ease and, you know, beds of roses and all this, all this sweet stuff and, you know, all that. It's not. All right? It's a life of deprivation sometimes. It's a life of trial. It can be a life of persecution. And so here's what Jesus said. He warned his disciples, Mark 13, 9, but take heed to yourselves, or take heed to yourselves, pay attention, for they shall deliver you up to councils. Stephen was brought before the council. And in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be pre-published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought before in what you shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. In other words, don't prepare a speech ahead of time. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. And so even, Peter's not contradicting that. Peter's not denying that. Peter understood. He was there were several there's times in the book of Acts where it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said, Alright. He didn't premeditate. Alright, now the other aspect, Paul told Timothy to study and prepare to teach the people. That's a different setting. But the, but Peter said there also needs to be that readiness of mind and attitude. So let's go back. First Peter chapter three. Um, let's go back there. And so, as it is with most everything in the Christian life, God has his part, we have our part, right? If we want God to do his part, we must do our part. And so that's what Peter's talking about in 1 Peter chapter number 3. Now, a couple other things about that, about this whole thing of giving an answer, all right? Making a defense when we're questioned. He says this, meekness and fear, all right? Meekness, humility, and fear, reverence for God. But meekness, um, one of the things we shouldn't ever try to do is to, is to lord it over people and shame them into being saved. You know, like you, you stupid idiot, you scoundrel, can't you get it, you idiot, you know? No, no, it's not, that's not at all. It's like realizing that we were there. There was a time in our lives when we didn't get it either. And people are probably thinking, how can they not get it, <laughs> right? All right, but, not, but anyway. And then there's a second, another thing, number, not only with this right, with the attitude. Verse 16, having a good conscience, that is a clear conscience, void of offense, that whereas they speak evil. See, so the, so the context of this asking is a hostile asking, right? How can you believe that stuff, you know? Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Right? So we have to make sure that, and Peter enlarges on that in other places, 
Um, make sure that we are not guilty. Make sure that we are not doing things that give the enemy up ammunition to use against us. Make sure if they accuse us, it's false, all right? Not true. Conversation means lifestyle. And then we have the will of God. Verse 17, for it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And back in chapter 2, Peter says, if we take it patiently when we're buffeted for our faults, that's no glory. That's no honor, right? But if we do well and suffer for it, this is, thing, you know, this is acceptable with God. All right, now let's take a look at the second thing, quickened by the Spirit. In verse 18, and so the Holy Spirit is involved in, the, in, our, in, our, in our life, in our ministry of giving an answer, all right, and speaking for him. Now we're going to take a look at a couple areas where the Holy Spirit was involved in the ministry of Christ, and certainly we benefit from that. So it says in, in his suffering, it says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So four things quickly about Christ's suffering. Number one, it was for sins. Notice the verse. Christ died for our sins. He carried our sins. He shed his blood to wash away our sins. So all that he went through was for our sins. You know that, but it ought to be more precious and blessed to us all the time. So it was the just for the unjust. In other words, it was the righteous for the unrighteous. It was the sinless for the sinner. All right? Thank, praise the Lord for that. Oh, I hope, you know... Uh, the Lord in the Old Testament, through the prophet, said to Israel, Look unto the rock from whence you were hewn, and the pit from which you were digged. In other words, we need to remember where we came from, and what we were, and what Christ has done for us. You know, a couple of those in, in, in the book of Isaiah and the book of Ezekiel, basically the Lord comes to Israel as Israel is going away from him, and God says, What did I do? What did I ever do to cause you to go away from me? And of course the answer is nothing. And in Ezekiel especially, he says, I remember thee, the time of thy love. You know, in that early history when I saved you out of Egypt and all that. You know, and so um, he suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Notice it was that he might bring us to God. Bring us to God. And that speaks of reconciliation. We were at odds, not because God did anything, but because we did. And so we are brought, reconciliation simply means to make one or to set, bring peace. And then also bring us to God speaks of access. We now have access to the throne of God. We have access to the Lord. And one of the great events, when Jesus died on the cross, remember what, what's the Bible say happened next? After he died... The veil in the temple, the curtain was rent in twain from top to bottom. In other words, God tore that thing. And what was the veil for? Represent the fact that man could not enter the presence of God. Man did not have access to the presence of God. The veil was torn in two. Now we have access to God. So it was, it was being put to death in the flesh. In other words, it was a physical death. A real death dying back 
was a teenager in the early 70s, there was a there was a new theory out there. It was called the swoon theory. That Jesus didn't really die, he just fainted on the cross. And so they took him down, they put him in the tomb, and the coolness of the tomb, you know, he, he regained consciousness, and somehow, how he ever got the stone away, that's, that's amazing. And he managed to stumble out, and, and so on and so forth. And then some say that he, he wandered into a cave and died, and nobody knows where his body is. That, they actually were teaching that back in the 70s. But no, he was put to death in the flesh. He literally died physically, but what died? His body, just like when we died. You know, Anne passed away, Bach, and, and only the body, the, the spirit, soul and spirit, live on. Physical death, but he, he really died. You know, the soldiers made sure he was dead, right? They took, they run that, they ran that spear into his side, and all the water and blood came out. I mean, he was dead. But, see, his resurrection quickened by the Spirit. He was made alive. He was revived, as you will, if you will. His body died. His body was raised from the dead. His body became alive. Um, Look at Romans 8 for just a minute. Let's turn there. Um, and Jesus Christ literally, literally, bodily, came from forth from the grave. Obviously, that is one of the cornerstones of our faith. By the way, we could go back in, in that verse in, in 1 Peter 3.15, and it says throughout the New Testament, all our hope is based on the resurrection of Christ. Remember those the verses, the, the first few verses of, of 1 Corinthians talk about how Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, that he was buried, that he rose again, third day according to Scriptures, and that he was seen. Right? And then verses like 4 through 10 talk about all the people that saw him after he rose from the grave. And then like verses 11 to 20 talk about what if he didn't? What if he didn't rise from the grave? Then we're hopeless. <laughs> we have no hope. All right? But he did. All right? Romans chapter 8. And verse, um, verse 10 says this, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Our body is dying. I was talking to a fellow just the other day, and he was telling um, about how one of the things that he remembers uh, from coming to our church, and he'll be back, I'm sure. He told me this. He said, "You said once in your sermon that we're we're born to the, we're born dying. <laughs> we're born dying. You know." And I remember learning that in school, in science class or health class. We, our teachers told us, and we're like, "Hmm." Like, you know, our cells are dying all the time. And then the body replaces the dying cells. And our, and our teacher said to us back in those days, I don't think she was a Christian, but she said, what happens at a certain point in your life is your cells die faster than, they can, than your body can replace them. And that's called aging. <laughs> All right? And so eventually we die. So we're kind of like the walking dead in a way. You understand what I mean? We're, we're you know, we're, our body's perishing according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But not the spirit. Notice. 
the body's dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness, because of Christ's righteousness. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, the Bible says, you know, it's interesting, the Bible says God the, the Father raised him from the dead, the spirit quickened him, and then Jesus said, I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. So all three person of the Trinity involved in Christ's resurrection. Um, if he dwells in you, he that raised up Christ the dead shall also quicken, that is, make alive, your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. All right? Now that's in one of two ways. All right? If we die before the Lord comes, our body will be raised from the grave, changed, glorified. If we're alive when Christ comes, our body will be changed instantly. So it's going to be, we're going to be quickened. We're going to be made alive. And these mortal bodies will no longer be mortal. Praise the Lord for that. They'll never be sick. They'll never be die. They'll never sin. All the, you know, all these wonderful, all, all these wonderful things. And it's all tied to the resurrection of Christ. All right. Now let's go back to First Peter. Got a couple things. First Peter, chapter number three. <clears throat> so <clears throat> quickened by the Spirit. You see that. But quickened by the Spirit, then verse 18, then beginning in verse 19, by which, that's by the Spirit, this is another thing, he preached unto the spirits in prison. Notice that, verse 19, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Now that, that's another point. We'll get to that in a minute. But this um, preaching unto the Spirit. So by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the leading of the Holy Spirit, an interesting, great mystery, marvelous thing, that Jesus Christ relied upon the guidance of the Holy Spirit in his earthly life. So he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Likely, um, this took place sometime after sundown on day three. Probably Saturday night. Remember when they, when they came to the tomb early in the morning? Jesus, had, he's already gone. So what seems to fit the scriptural pattern best is that right, right after Jesus rose from the grave, he went and preached to those spirits in prison. And I, I mean, I used to think he did it during the three days he was in the tomb, but it doesn't really fit because why would he, you know, he would go after, <laughs> after he rose from the grave because Colossians tells us he made a show of them openly triumphing, the, you know, the, the evil spirits and that, the powers of hell, he declared his triumph. And that would have been after he rose from the grave. He said that's what things he did. So, you know, he met the thief, and he met the thief, yeah, the thief, the repentant thief, and met him in paradise during those three days, and he was in the, you know, so he did all these different things. But one thing he did, he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now, the Bible tells us, gives us no, no, no indication that he gave, went down there and preached the gospel and said, I'm going to give you another chance. 
to be saved. No, by the way, these spirits couldn't be saved. They're, they were not human spirits. They were demonic spirits. Again, look, saints, we, we can't delve, delve into this, but you, I'd encourage you to look. In the book of Second Peter and the book of Jude, it indicates that these spirits in prison were fallen angels. Right? Notice where it took place. Verse 20, which sometime were disobedient. Okay, sometime means long ago, means at another time. They were disobedient. Well, when were they disobedient? When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, in other words, while the ark was being built, something was going on in the world, and Genesis 6 tells it was the sons of God mingled with the daughters of men. And the book of Jude talks about the sons of God as angels. And in fact, look, look at Jude. Look how Jude describes it. Let's go there for just a second. How the book of Jude describes what took place. And so these fallen angels were a special group of angels. I use that word special in, in, in quotes. And here's what how Jude describes them, verse seven or verse six, and the angels which kept not their first estate. Where was their first estate? Heaven and serving God, but left their own habitation, having reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now you can argue and discuss this, but I'll tell you what, you cannot, you cannot undo what the Bible says here. And that little, that little statement in verse 7, even as connects the sins of the angels that left their first estate with the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now you know what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was. It was fornication. It was immorality. So I believe, and in other scriptures too, that, that what those angels did, somehow they cohabited. They either cohabited, took on the form of humans and produced these wicked sinners, or they possessed the bodies of men and went with women and produced this evil that put in, so, so that it came to the point in Genesis 6 5 that God saw that the imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's what, he, that's what the Bible says. It doesn't say that mankind had some good thoughts and evil thoughts. It doesn't say that he had a few good thoughts and mostly evil thoughts. No. The Bible says every thought, every thought of the man's of his heart was only evil continually. Folks, we're not there yet. We think it's bad now. Sorry, nothing like it was back then. Where man, everybody, everybody except eight people had only evil thoughts, right? At least, I mean, I'm sure there are people today that only have evil thoughts, but not, you can't say that about the whole human race because there's millions of believers. But, so, <clears throat> notice they're, they're, they're in chains. They're in chains. They're in prison. It's tyra is the, is the Greek word. It's, it's a special place in hell where these, this group of, of angels 
Not everybody that follows Satan, but some of them did this particular sin to pervert the human race. And so they've been in prison ever since. Now, some demons are allowed to roam around and, and do the devil's dirty work, but this, these particular ones are not. They're chained. They're right now. They're chained right now. And they're chained until the day that they're cast into um, like fire. These are the ones that Jesus went and preached to. And he did not preach deliverance. He preached their doom, all right? That their, their doom was sealed and settled in what, when he died and when he rose from the grave. All right, now it goes on to say this. Where is she? While the ark was preparing, all Noah built the ark, and God gave mankind 120 years. That's long-suffering. That's what the long-suffering of God's talking about. In Genesis, God said his days will be 120 years. God gave him 120 years to repent. But instead of repenting, it got worse and worse and worse and worse. Right? And then the ark was prepared. Where are few, that is eight, souls, were saved by water? All right? Now, how were they saved by water? It's a figure. Notice it says in verse 21, the like figure. We'll get to that in a minute. Very quickly. Um, so, for one thing, you can say this. The, the same flood that washed away and destroyed life on earth, the same water led, bore up the ark and took it to safety, as it were. But what if there was no ark? They would, there was nothing for, to save them. So it wasn't the water that saved them, it was the ark, actually. Right? So Peter says you can look at baptism the same way. It's not baptism that saves, it's Christ who saves. But baptism is a figure. That's interesting. The word figure means a type or a representation or a copy. Right? So how does baptism save us? And if you've never been baptized, you, this is good for you to, listen, to hear this. Um, it says, how does it save us? Parentheses, not, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. In other words, baptism, water baptism does not take away sin. We got into a discussion. Jan, you might remember this in Bible school. Remember that guy, um, I can't remember, what was his name? He used to come to church at night, and he tried to talk to the girls and, and try to lead them astray, and he believed that, you, that baptism saved you. All right? And he had a translation of the Bible that says, not washing dirt off the skin. Terrible translation of that verse. That's what's wrong with, with all these translations. But no, it's not talking about physical dirt. The filth of the flesh in Scripture always is referring to sin. All right? So water baptism does not take away sin, does not wash away sin. It's for believers. But what does it do? Look at, but, see it? But the answer of a good conscience toward God. Because baptism is a command of the Word of God. It is a step of obedience for the believer. And so it saves us from having a, a defiled conscience. It, 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 so in other words, a Christian who's not baptized is not, has not obeyed the Lord. And so there might be reasons for that. But when a person realizes that as a believer, then it's important that they follow the Lord in baptism to keep a good conscience uh, between themselves and God. Now, it's by 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Christ completed as it were our salvation. Who has gone into heaven? That's Jesus. And is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Jesus Christ, has been, he's, been, he's ascended. He's been exalted. And he's just waiting for the Lord, to, God the Father, to say, All right, son, it's time. And he will send him. In fact, Peter said that in Acts chapter 3. He will send Jesus. When the fullness of the time, when it's all ready, according to God's plan, he will send him. Praise the Lord for that. Well, here's, here's just kind of wrap things up. What you, what you and I need to take from this passage of scripture, what we've laid out for tonight. Number one, be ready. Be ready always to give an answer. Um, rejoice in Christ's work to, that brought us to God. And then be sure you have a good conscience toward God. Confess all known sin and make it right if necessary. Be willing to suffer if need be then to be untrue to the Lord. Take steps of obedience to the Lord, including baptism, if you haven't done that already. And so, what a, what a tremendous passage of scripture. Um, and all about the Lord and about the Holy Spirit and how they work together. But praise the Lord for what he did, what he did for us. Father, thank you so much for this time we can have in thy precious word tonight. The singing, Father, I loved it. It was so precious to me tonight as well. These great hymns testimonies that were given and are now our time in the precious, precious word of God. Help us, oh Lord, help us, equip us, embolden us, give us courage to speak up for the Lord. And Father, we, that we would do it with the right attitude and just be being thankful for what you've done for us and help us to have compassion, have pity on the unsaved around us realizing that where they are now, we were, we were there once, and you saved us, and you can save them. We thank you. We praise thee in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, number 386, in closing the service tonight, please stand, 386, all for Jesus. All for Jesus, all my beings ransomed powers. I love that phrase. What an what a insight to the word of God. My being's ransom powers, all the resources, the spiritual power that the Lord has provided for us. And of course, it is the Holy Spirit who applies those things, right? So, um, let's sing all, sing, all, sing together. Um, <clears throat> all for Jesus, all for Jesus, all my being's ransom powers, all my thoughts and words and doings, all my days and all my hours, all for Jesus, all for Jesus, all my days and all my hours. All for Jesus, all for Jesus, all my days and all my hours. Let my hands perform his bidding, let my feet run in his ways. Let my eyes see Jesus only. Let my lips.
Lord speak forth his praise. All for Jesus, all for Jesus. Let my lips speak forth his praise. All for Jesus, all for Jesus. Let my lips speak forth his praise. Since my eyes were fixed on Jesus, I've lost sight of all beside. So enchain my spirit's vision, looking at the crucified. All for Jesus, all for Jesus, looking at the crucified. All for Jesus, all for Jesus, looking at the crucified. Oh, what wonder, how amazing, Jesus, glorious King of kings, deigns to call me his beloved, lets me rest beneath his wings. All for Jesus, all for Jesus, resting now beneath his wings. All for Jesus, all for Jesus, resting now beneath his wings. By the way, that word, we don't use that word, Danes, I don't think I've ever used it in my life, but it means to, to delight. He delights to call me his beloved. And that's an eye-opener right there, isn't it? Um, so good to have everybody today and this evening. Good to have Pern and Sandy. Brother Pern, would you uh, please close in, in prayer for us? Yes. Yes. Which one? Aunt okay, all right, we'll pray. Okay, yeah, we pray for Bruce's Aunt Thelma, who just had a stroke, please. Yeah, Thank, thanks, Bruce. Thank you. Yes. Dear Lord, once again, we bow before the Almighty God and we give thanks. We thank you for allowing us to be here, Lord. We thank you for Jesus and the salvation that he's brought to us. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word that strengthens each and every day. And we pray for this dear family. This that they might be comforted and, and strengthened, Lord, in this time. Lord, we ask you to watch over each one that's here, those that wish to be here, Lord, those that you will call in the future. You're such a gracious God. And again, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.